I like to cook, and the one thing I've come to learn is that the best way to improve the flavor of any dish is to make sure you're using high-quality ingredients, which is why I love using ButcherBox to get all my meat, poultry, and fish products. They are far and away the best option out there, so if you haven't yet ordered from them, I highly encourage you to give them a try today. Not only do they give you tons of options, you can get any cut you want and it's always top of the line, but it's also way more convenient than going to the butcher or grocery store. They always provide free delivery right to your door. They have awesome ribeyes, strip steaks, and steak tips that have all the right marbling, chicken wings, breasts, and thighs full of flavor, and their fish is all wild caught with no additives. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of those premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash scarymysteries and use code scarymysteries to choose your free offer and get $20 off. So one more time, because this is key, New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code Scary Mysteries and get $20 off your first box. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Italy is known for its food, beauty, and culture, but like any place in the world, Italy also has a dark side. The next five cases showcase the most unusual crimes that happen in the country. Here are five frightening unsolved mysteries in Italy. Number five, Moro de Moro. Earning the nickname Journalista Scomodo, or the inconvenient journalist, Moro de Moro, is known for his fierce, left-leaning slant. He was a supporter of Benito Mussolini's fascist regime and continued to support the Italian Social Republic and German-governed Northern Italy. From the 50s to the 70s, de Moro became a part of a group of investigative reporters at the newspaper Laura leading the way in exposing connections between the Sicilian Mafia and corrupt politicians. In 1962, De Moro was the first to release a detailed map of the Sicilian Mafia, confirmed to be true 22 years later by former member Tommaso Buschetta. He also republished a testimony from another Mafia turncoat, medical doctor Melchiori Algara, who testified of Mafia activities. This put DeMauro under the Mafia's target list. In 1962, DeMauro investigated the death of ENI President Enrico Mattei. Mattei was president of the state-owned gas and oil conglomerate who died in a mysterious plane crash on October 27, 1962. A prominent figure who gathered the ear of several countries and agencies during his term 
Maday's death was attributed to French extremists, OAS, the CIA, and the Sicilian Mafia. DeMauro suspected Maday's aircraft was sabotaged, though. He managed to score an interview with Graziano Verzada, known politician and former right-hand man of Mahdi. But Verzato was also known to Mafia boss Giuseppe De Cristina. In fact, he was the best man at his wedding. DeMauro then told his colleagues at the newspaper, I have a scoop that's going to shake Italy. On September 16th of 1970, DeMauro disappeared while heading home from work in Palermo. Thousands of police officers, helicopters, and dogs combed the city looking for him. Despite the huge search, though, no sign of him was ever found. Various mafia rats proclaimed DeMauro was killed by the mafia, and they said it happened because he was investigating Mahdi's death. Another said he was killed because of his reporting about the mafia, and perhaps it was a little bit of both. It took a while, and wasn't until 2006 when a murder trial for DeMauro's death finally went underway. By this time, the only living defendant was Salvatore Rina. In 2011, Rina was acquitted on charges of kidnapping and ordering DeMauro's death. The court said there was insufficient evidence, and so that was the end of that. Number 4. Griselia Francini a.k.a. Lolita. Starting at a young age of 15, Griselia Francini, a.k.a. Lolita, was already offered a recording contract by record company Magic. The same year, Francini joined the Pissarro Song Festival and ended up winning because of her amazing talent and charm. Not only that, her young age and beautiful looks also won her billing on various musical television programs. In 1969, she participated in Festival de Napoli, where she became a finalist with two songs. She also joined the RAI musical show, Sedevaci, which helped catapult her career further and spawned her hit, Come Les Rose. The biggest break was when she participated in one of the biggest musical festivals in Italy, the San Remo Festival, in 1973. But soon, the singer's career began to stall, and she disappeared from the limelight for over a decade. At the start of the 80s, she tried reviving her career. She rented a small villa in the tourist town of La Marinella, where she started performing again in the nearby towns. On the night of April 27, 1986, she was scheduled to perform a show near La Mesia Terma. However, to her manager's shock, the singer didn't show up. There was no word from her about her absence either, but since it was uncharacteristic of her not to say anything, those who worked with her started to worry. They tried calling, but there was no answer. They visited her home, but it was locked, and no one was answering their knocks. Some of her friends got in touch with Dr. Michelle Raporto, gynecologist who was involved with the singer, but he also didn't know what happened to her. And then a friend of Francini, Italo Montesanti, headed back to her home to see if he could go inside through the balcony or a small window to see if she was inside. He circled the home and found a small window that was open. Once inside, 
he noticed the television was turned on. In the bedroom, there was a small tray with breakfast food. The front door was locked from the inside. Apart from this, nothing else seemed unusual in the rooms. When he entered to check the bathroom, that's when he found her. Griselia Francini was lying at the foot of the tub, half naked and dead. Her face and body were completely disfigured from various cuts and contusions. Close to her body was a small bottle with a broken neck. Police theorized the singer was attacked soon after eating breakfast. The intruder or intruders had entered her room through the open window and then attacked her as she was in that bathroom. Over during the autopsy, the coroner discovered the singer didn't have any defensive wounds. Investigators believe that's because there wasn't one but two intruders, with one of them holding down the singer while the other killed her. And two prime suspects then emerged, and it turns out Francini's lover, Dr. Michelle Ruperto, wasn't single, but was actually engaged to a young med student, Teresa Tropia. Roberto said when he told Teresa about Francini, she got upset and almost violent with him. He added that about a month before the singer was killed, Teresa, with her mother, Caterina, entered Francini's home and began attacking her. The two pushed the singer to her bedroom and began hitting her with an iron bar. Both women admitted to attacking Francini that time, but denied ever killing her. These two women were considered primary suspects, but there was no concrete evidence proving they committed the crime. Despite going to trial, the two women were acquitted up to the court of cassation. By Italian law, they did not commit the crime. Grazilia Francini's death, as a result, remains unsolved today. Number 3. Wilma Montesi On April 9th of 1953, Wilma Montesi headed out to take a walk. When Wilma left her home, she was dressed nicely as if she was meeting somebody else. She carried a bag with her, but not her ID card. She didn't wear any jewelry, not even the stuff her fiancé gave her. At around 5.30, several people said they saw her taking the train alone. As Wilma's sister and mom arrived home, they found out Wilma hadn't gotten back in time for dinner. At 10.30 p.m., there was still no sign of her, so her family headed to the local hospital to see if she had gotten sick or perhaps had been in an accident. When they couldn't find her there, they went to the police right away and reported her missing. Two days later, on April 11th, woman's body was found at a beach in Torvainisa. The woman's head was immersed in the water while her body was on the shore, and it was Wilma. During the autopsy, baffling questions cropped up. Wilma was found only partially dressed. She was barefoot, no longer wearing her skirt and stockings. Her garter belt was gone, as well as her bag. And while she had her jacket, she wasn't wearing it, but instead, it was placed over her shoulders. Many first suspected it was an assault, but there was no sign of that. And in fact, the coroner said Wilma was still a virgin. There were no drugs found in her system either. Even more, her lungs had water and sand in them. The sand was traced as coming from Capacota, 
beach south of Ostia. It's believed Wilma had died around 18 hours from the time her body was discovered. Initially, police speculated she may have done it to herself, but her family insisted this was impossible. As further inquiries were made, police said Wilma's death was the result of an accident. She probably took off her shoes and waded into the water when she fainted and then drowned. Officials then said her body was swept from Ostia, where she was last seen, towards Torvanicia, where she was found. The family accepted this version of the story. But there are plenty of theories surrounding Wilma's death. Even though her family insisted she was a good girl, many believed that Wilma wasn't as innocent as they thought. In fact, there was speculation she left her home that day because she got into a fight with her mother. Then months later, a young actress, Adriana Conceta Bisaccia, said she was with Wilma and had a sex party at a villa in Copacata. The party included famous people, including Piero Piccani and Hugo Montagno. Adriana added that they were both actress hopefuls and she and Wilma participated in the party where huge quantities of drugs were freely given. Although it seems crazy, the sand found in Wilma's lungs comes from Capacota. Back then, it was a difficult place to head to unless you were invited or had someone else to take you there. When threatened by slander, the actress retracted her statement. However, another actress came forward stating Wilma was actually Marquise Montague's mistress. Both Piccioni and Montagna faced trial for Wilma Montesi's death on January 21st, 1957. Over both provided solid alibis and both were acquitted. But today, it's still unclear what exactly happened to Wilma. Number 2. Roberto Calvi On June 18th of 1982 at 7.30 a.m., a postal clerk on his way to work saw the body of a man hanging from the scaffolding beneath Blackfriars Bridge in London. The man was dressed in a gray suit, white waistcoat, and blue shirt. He had shoes and socks on, but no belt or tie. On his hand was an expensive wristwatch, stopped at 1.52 a.m., and in his pockets, jacket, and even in his crotch area was inserted 12 pounds worth of heavy bricks. The man's wallet contained approximately $13,000 in cash and different currencies, and his passport stated his name to be Roberto Calvini. But in reality, he was president of Banco Ambrosiano Roberto Calvi. But how did a powerful Italian banker end up dead in London? Apparently, Calvi had disappeared from his Roman apartment on June 10th of 1982. He fled the country to Venice before catching a private plane to London. When Calvi first started working at Banco Ambrosiano at the age of 27 as a clerk and climbed his way up to become president in 1975. Calvi transformed Ambrosiano into a prominent private bank opening offshore companies in Luxembourg and the Bahamas while acquiring a Swiss chapter as well. Throughout the bank's rise, he also made powerful friends. He had high-ranking connections with people from the Vatican, 
the Masons, as well as those affiliated with organized crime. Calvi's trouble soon started. In 1977, Milan was inundated with banners accusing irregular activities by Calvi at Banco Ambrosiano. A criminal investigation then started, and Calvi was tried in 1981. He was given a four-year suspended sentence, and after posting bail, he tried to salvage the bank as much as possible, even writing a letter to Pope John Paul II wanting to explain things and giving him a warning, though he never heard back. With his return to jail looming, Calvi decided to make a run for it, He was smuggled out of the country and ended up in London, where his body was then found. The day before, on June 17th, the bank's board members ousted Calvi from his position and decided to dissolve itself. It was discovered the bank had $1.4 billion in debt. Later that day, his long-term personal secretary, Griselia Karosher, fell or jumped to her death from the bank's window. Some say her death, too, was not an accident. During the investigation, the police proclaimed Calvi had done all that to himself. This raised a lot of eyebrows because the circumstances of his death was unusual. His family challenged the verdict, and a new investigation began for murder. Police believe Calvi was taken to the bridge area via boat, and there he was strangled. British and Italian authorities agreed it was the Mafia who planned and carried out Calvi's death since he was involved in money laundering for the organization. Five men were charged in 2003, but it resulted in the acquittal, despite several appeals. In the end, the ruling only proved someone killed Calvi, but as to who exactly, remains unknown. Number 1. Michelle Sindona Born in Messina, Michel Sindona rose from his humble, small-town beginnings to become a self-made millionaire. After graduating with a law degree in the University of Messina in 1942, he moved to Sicily and then Milan, where his skill with laundering money and evading taxes earned him the respect of mafia bosses. In 1957, he was closely tied to the Gambino family in the U.S., managing funds from their heroin sales. Just a year later, Sindona bought and put up his first bank. He became good friends with future Pope Giovanni Battista Montini and acquired more banks in the process. Huge amounts of money were transferred from Sindona's banks into the Vatican, Swiss banks, and he also dealt with large-scale money laundering operations. He was so successful that in 1974 he was declared as Man of the Year by the United States Ambassador to Italy, John Volpe. The proclamation was too soon because in April of that year, the stock market crashed and Franklin Bank in Long Island, of which Sindona had a controlling interest, suffered a profit loss of 98%. Soon, other banks owned by Sindona also began to fall. As he tried to use laundered money to save his banks, it was all for nothing. It was too late. On July 11th of 1979, the commission liquidator of Sindona's banks, Giorgio Ambrosoli, was found murdered. It was linked back to Sindona, and apparently he had hired an American assassin. 
while indicted back in the United States and Dona faked his own kidnapping. This was so he could take an 11-week trip to Sicily before he was scheduled to appear at his first fraud trial. After he was released from his kidnapping, he then surrendered to the FBI. He was then convicted in 1980 on 65 counts, including perjury, fraud, misappropriation of funds, and issuing fake bank statements. While serving at a federal prison in the U.S., he was awaiting extradition from the Italian government for murder. Sindona did everything he could not to be extradited, but failed. He was found guilty of murdering Ambrosoli and was sentenced to life at Vagra Prison in Italy. Sindona was isolated in his own cell with reinforced doors. He was watched over by 15 guards in continuous rotation, and his every move was watched by security cameras. His coffee, like every morning, was delivered to him in a locked metal container inside a thermos. As he drank his coffee on the morning of March 20, 1986, guards watched him through the peephole and heard him screaming, They've poisoned me, before collapsing. He died two days later. It was discovered his coffee was laced with cyanide. Many suspected he was killed, but investigators said it was likely Sindona who did it to himself just to make it look like a murder. From pop stars, ordinary citizens, and men of power, murder and death honors no one. These five people suffered unusual deaths, and each one of them continues to remain a mystery today. So there were five frightening unsolved mysteries in Italy, I'm Andrew. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, if you enjoyed this, go check it out on our Scary Mysteries YouTube channel. And if you want more pods from us, go to our Everytown podcast, because every town has a dark side. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you guys soon.